The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen. It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Now, Ben, you know that song, Fly Like an Eagle, performed by Seal on the Space Jam soundtrack? Fly like an eagle. Yeah. If I'm the gentle listeners, I'm flying like an eagle right now because I'm listening to the Kiss and Solak Show, episode 96, brought to them by the fine folks of SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kiss. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kiss NFL. It's K I S T. As always, joined by the best doggone co host in the game, Mr. Eight Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S O L A K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Mike, every day is a good day to be alive. That hits me right in the mems, man. Hits right in the field. Space Jam was it. Like, yeah. I own Space Jam on VHS, baby. I'm, I'm, I get made up fun of for being young, but I was old enough to own Space Jam on VHS, and I'm proud of that. That's a good one. I saw it in the theaters, man. What a great show. So today, what are we talking about? We're talking about players, young players, the young core players on the Philadelphia Eagles that are going to be extremely important for the Eagles moving forward, especially when Carson Wentz secures the bag. So we're going to rank mm-hmm. the top 10 under 25 players for the Philadelphia Eagles. Before we do that, Ben, I just want I want to catch up with you. I want to see what you're what you're getting into. What are you what are you working on recently? What are you doing? I'm watching some 2020 prospects going through some wide receivers and doing some RPO stuff. Let's What's spend up? A, let's spend a minute introducing the people to the glory that is LaVisca Chenault. All right, which firstly, yeah. you can't be named LaVisca Chenault and not be good at football. It's impossible. Correct. Or whatever you do. Yeah. You can be an accountant, you're one of the best accounts in the country, LaVisca Chenault. LaVisca, wide receiver for Colorado. Mike, you've started watching his film. I watched a lot of him last year covering the Pac-12. Oh, so we've got we've got ourselves a running back playing wide receiver here. We've got yeah. ourselves a running back in a wide receiver body, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. He's 6'2", 220, and a lot of his production, we were talking about this before the show, comes from like the short stuff, the shallow crossers and the jailbreak screens, and they throw in some wildcat. He had five rushing touchdowns last year, so mm-hmm. a lot of that production is like manufactured, but the guy is a grown man. Like I was telling you, I, I think like the hype that he is getting along with like Nikhil Harry and A.J. Brown, this guy is a better athlete than both of them, and he is just a beast to bring down in the open field. And when it comes to like the three wide receivers that I've watched so far, it's it, it's interesting because he's a different type from them. Because I've watched Jerry Judy from Alabama, who is awesome, amazing. I'm a, I was mm-hmm. a big Calvin Ridley fan coming out. I'm an even bigger Jerry Judy fan. He's one of the few guys I've followed since high school, since I saw him at a camp. And I love his game. I think he's going to be a top 10 player for me. 
And then Jalen Ragor from from TCU have some question marks about him, but the explosiveness, the burst, and all that stuff is definitely enticing. And then Chenault is just like a different animal, just like you said, a grown man. And we want to see him more in a traditional role next year so he can kind of get those plus blitz releases and and kind of round out his game with the route tree and everything like that. But at the same time, the guy is doggone fun to watch. For Colorado, I mean, they pretty much spent the entire season – like the entire preseason leading up to the 2018 season hiding LaVisca. Like they pretty much like, like during like spring, like fall, like he was out there a little bit and they were working with him, but like nobody was talking about him. And then they came out in week one and they just fed him. Like it was just unbelievable amount of targets and targets and, and, and and touches and scheme touches and wildcat touches and everything. This is a guy who went, yeah, he was, he grew up Alabama and he was a, a pretty heavy recruit, but he wanted to go to Colorado. I forget why, but it's a cool reason Burst on the scene as a true sophomore. Colorado had a lot of wide receivers in 2017. Burst on the scene as a true sophomore. And now everybody expects him to come out his junior year after the season oh, yeah. because he's going to be receiving uh, a ton of attention and, and a ton of targets. And he's going to be ready, presumably pro ready, given the amount of work that he's got at the college level. But yeah, that's our that's our prospect for the day. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I just dropped an article on Bleeding Green talking about Edge 4, which it's, this is how you know it's the offseason. We're writing about Edge 4, Mike. But, uh, you know, Eagles had much deeper edge rooms the past couple of years. This year, it looks like they're going in really only three strong right now with Barnett, Brandon Graham, with Vinnie Curry. And so asking the question of how much is that going to affect the Eagles rotation? How much does that affect their productivity? What happened last season when Barnett went down? And is that a model for what we can expect to see in 2019? Really interesting stuff. I was telling Mike one of the fun facts before the show. In 2018, when Barnett Long, Bennett, and Graham were all healthy. Each of them was taking over 50% of the snaps per game. That's how often Schwartz was getting three defensive ends, three pass rushers out into the field. Obviously, had Michael Bennett solves the problem a little bit because he's a really good interior rusher, but the Eagles were, were these were they were all starters. They were yeah. all all four of them were basically starters in terms of how often they were playing playing the game. And so it'll be really interesting to see what happens if the Eagles really try to develop an edge four, try to get it to be one of their young guys, maybe bring in a veteran if none of them develops, or if they're okay with just going three deep. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, let's find out how high we are on one of the young guys, because Josh Sweat is one of those guys that qualifies for the main topic of the show, which is right. our top 10 players under 25 for the Eagles. We're going to do it in reverse order. I'll start off with my number 10 I'm going to go with Trey Sullivan, the safety. I know he has a lot of weird supporters out there. And just so you know, there was about 16 guys that qualified for this. I'm leaving off guys that we know nothing about, like Matt Pryor didn't take a snap last year. So that's how I'm going through that process. I didn't really set any hard and fast rules on that. But Trey Sullivan checks in at number 10. I thought his game against the Chicago Bears was extremely overhyped. I mean, he graded out well in those games, but overall... I don't necessarily expect him to develop into the answer at safety three. It would be wonderful if he did. I'm fully open for it and rooting for him. But yeah, number 10 for me. What about you, Ben? Who is your 10th guy? I just want to make sure that the listeners know what we're looking at here. If you are, you know, like you said, Mike said about 16 guys that qualified. Start of the season, they got to be under 25. So that's where I set it up. I know you guys can think of all the good ones, but we're trying to do top 10. Looking at the list of available players, here's what I have to pick from. Josh Adams. Nate Gary, Deshaun Hall, Shelton Gibson, Trey Sullivan. Hmm. Pretty much the five I've got to go for here. And so pick your poison, choose who you want. I don't really care. Um, what I think, uh, if yeah, if it's gotten to my head, yeah, it's probably Nate Gary, Trey Sullivan. We got three special teamers, Nate Gary, Shelton Gibson, Trey Sullivan. So watch yeah. Deshaun Hall, watch Josh Adams. Hmm. Gary, positional change when he first came into the league. 
massively changed his body last year, right? Was like the workout warrior, added a ton of mass. To me, he's like like Gibson, I know I know exactly who Gibson is and it doesn't excite me. I don't think Gibson makes the team this year. Boom. He's outside of my top ten. He he was he's yeah. bad. Like he hasn't developed his game whatsoever. All the concerns that we had with right. him coming out are still there. So it's between Sullivan for Gary and Gary for me. Honestly, I don't care, which is my job, but I don't uh, so I'll take Gary just, you know, to be different. But Gary, you know, he does have good coverage ability with the safety background. He's a demon on special teams. Uh, and, and obviously he's a player who, with the body change you expect, is kind of still growing into the position a little bit. And so, you know, he was competing for the starting will job last year where Trey Sullivan does not compete for any jobs. So Nate Gary. Nate Gary fell at 11 for me. So he was close. He was in that discussion yep. for me. But I just recently was watching some work. Mugurje Hill, who didn't qualify for this, by the way. He's, he's a little bit too old. But watching Gary just getting washed out and being confused all the time. Just uh, I can't. I can't do it. My number nine player is a player that you left off. Josh Adams, obviously a very high ranking for him. We're very excited for him to be the next feature back of the Philadelphia Eagles, or some were in the middle of the season last year. And look, man, I we're going to talk about this when we get to Clement too, somewhere on our list. But I've been watching a lot of the run game, the RPO stuff from the Eagles recently, and there was so much meat left on the bone by these running backs just as a core. And Adams, I, I actually think, was one of the better ones at just like, hey, here's the whole let's go get it but really not much to offer after that. Not a whole lot of juice to his game. So he comes in at number nine for me, and he'll be fighting for a roster spot come this year now that they've added Miles Sanders and Jordan Howard. So right. I think Adams is okay. He doesn't excite me in any area, and I don't think he gives you anything as a receiver. So that's my number nine. What about you, Ben? I am shocked that you decided to put on the top 10 a player who's going to be cut. Uh, this is a very interesting strategy. I'm really interested <laughs> to see how that goes for you. Um, my number nine is Jordan Mailata, who has been playing football for exactly a year. See, I didn't include Mailata because no snaps last year, and we really don't know what he is. So I just kind of, I made the rule for myself, and then he was, he did not qualify for the list, but he did for you. So tell me what you like about Mailata. You know, the way you framed this, like, they're going to sign Carson Wentz to the extension, so which of these under 25 guys is going to matter? Yeah. Well, if they have one roster spot, and all things equal, it's Mailata or Josh Adams, they're keeping Mailata. You know Correct. what I'm saying? So, like, to me, that's that's what is the deciding factor there. Like I said, like, you know, when I was going through my guys, I watched Adams, Deshaun Hall off very quickly because, like, they don't provide a lot of special teams value. Hall might make it because of the edge depth issue that we talked about, but those are players I just don't see making the roster. Sean Gibson, I don't see making the roster, so I can't put him in the top 10. My lot I'm going to put in the top 10 because I think he's actually going to be around in 2020, right? And, and yeah, we don't know a ton about Mylotta. Mylotta took no regular season snaps last year. What we do know about Mylotta is that projecting the development of a rugby Aussie to offensive tackle with no experience. Like there's no schema for that, but consensus wise, he looked better in year one than we expected him to, which yeah. again, we don't know what to expect. So like who, like we have no, there's no barometer here. We're making this up from a media perspective. Um, but he looked better than we expected him to. And that there's no way that's a bad sign. It might not be a positive sign. We might be making this up, but there's definitely not a bad sign that he like went out there in the preseason and like, yes, got Joe Callahan killed. But also had some really positive moments, right? And, yeah. and and you know he clearly is a guy who understands what you know like what his his path is like and how long it is and what's going to be necessary for him. So we'll see him again in year two. And like you know you fully have the right, and I won't uh, you know besmirch you at all for it. Is if we see him in year two and it looks good, and you're like, all right, now he's in the top ten. You know what I mean? Because yeah, you definitely want to to gut check on that. But I'm a my lot of guy. I'm a my lot of truther. Even though I said that there's a chance they don't keep him on the active fifty three and people got very upset with me. But my lot is my number nine. 
is it going to upset you if I have Jake Elliott here at eight? Do you feel he should be higher? Yeah, you'll find out. You'll find out where I have Elliott, sir. 93% extra points in 2017. Bump that up to 94 the next year. So just a little, a little bit better. We'd like to see that a little bit higher. 84% on field goals both years. Think he's solid. Gives you enough leg on, on kickoffs and whatnot. I know you have his jersey, so I'm expecting him to be competing with guys like Dallas Goddard, Devontae Maddox, and whatnot on your list as an extremely valuable player. Third phase of the game, very important. Jake Elliott checks in as my number eight, Ben. Who do you got? Not Jake Elliott yet. <laughs> this is where I have Corey Clement. And Clement was the, the player I struggled to slot the most. Mm. 2018 was not good. 2017 yeah. was quite good, but in like a weird way, because like he did not catch passes at Wisconsin. And all of a sudden, he was like the pass got me back, and he was great at it. And it was like, well... How legit is this? Like, how how sure am I this is a real thing? You know, it, it was... I'll be very interested to see what Clement's role is now that Howard and Sanders are in the building. Like, Clement has an opportunity to, like, reset his role in the sense of, like, in 2017, if he just, like, filled the gap of pass catcher because Sproles was down and a giant blunt weren't pass catchers, then cool. Well, now, like, Clement can, like, take on new responsibilities because Sanders and, and Howard haven't earned any jobs either. They're both new in the building. So I'll be really interested to see what happens with Clement. Like, if he's, you know, a solid rotational back in a committee like if he's an rb3 in a team that uses three rbs well then it's hard to put him any higher than eight seven yeah. like i clearly put him below jake elliott who's the place kicker so there's my opinion on that you know now if he revives he kind of returns to 2017 form if he pushes out howard for some snaps and then all of a sudden you know by 2020 it's sanders and clement one two well then clement's gonna push himself up higher but i think right now we understand him as a running back three as a change of pace guy as a, you know some good special teams value as well. Tough for me to put that any higher than eight. Uh, and, and so Clement landed at eight for me. But it was I really struggled with where he was. I, I had a hard time. Yeah, I had a hard time too. Yeah, I felt like he could have been six for me, but I put him at seven. So this is a good transition for me to talk about him. I mean, based on the highs and lows that we have seen from Clement, if you put him somewhere in the middle of that, that high and that low, I still think you have a decent back. That's an RB3 that can give you something in the passing game as well as he's shown in the past. I think he's totally replaceable, uh, but I think he is decent. My problem is, man, like I was telling you guys, I went back and watched the Eagles against the Colts where the Eagles had their biggest rushing output of the season with 152 rushing yards. And the three backs, Adams, Smallwood, and Clement just really struggled for me. I think Adams was probably the, the best in that game just from a pure like evaluation standpoint. When I watched Clement, he was indecisive. He was drinking through a straw, tunnel vision, wanting to bounce early, just not really seeing things and setting up his blocks very well. And his yardage came from being able to shed some contact. But overall, I mean, the guy didn't make anybody miss in space last year and has never been the shiftiest of guys and then didn't give us anything in the passing game last year. So you're really concerned with his development. You don't know. I mean, we kept saying, like, is this guy injured in the beginning of the year? Because that's how bad he was. And he had like a quad knock or a thigh knock sometime during training camp. And we wonder if that is a holdover from that. I mean, he put on some weight so that, that sapped some of his explosiveness because the guy just he was not good last year but we know what he can be we hope that he can return to that level so we'll see how he develops so my number seven is Corey clement who is your number seven ben this is where i have josh sweat nice yeah and, and the thing with sweat is like very excited about him when he was selected thought fourth round was a good value for him the medical red flags will push him there i thought it was like a late round two sort of value off of film i'm probably biased because i just got off a post where i was like hey there were a bunch of snaps that the eagles lost from Derek barnett and josh was not able to take them that's probably not good but as i wrote like barnett was taking over 50 percent of the snaps fourth round rookies don't typically take 50 percent of the snaps anywhere 
one of the reasons why Avante Maddox is going to be as high on my list as he is. Yeah. Spoiler yeah. alert, right? Because, like, he doesn't regularly do that. I mean, come on, yeah. So, so it's, it's okay. It's not like, you know, uh, a Josh Sweat was, like, a, a second-round or a first-round guy who, you know, all of a sudden was more playing time, potentially, and he wasn't able to turn back on that. Like, a fourth-round rookie snapping into 50% of the snaps, I can understand why it's difficult. Especially I think Sweat has had a big learning curve from what he was asked to do at Florida State yeah. and what he was being asked to do in Philadelphia. That being said... Again, a situation where it's tough to get sweat any higher than this because of the the question of how much he contributes to the team, uh, you know, his potential to be an actual starter, how many snaps he's taking on, on a week-to-week basis. I will say, I would start, if you ask me, like, who could be the biggest mover on this list, I'd circle sweat yeah. uh, in the sense that if he wins the edge four job, well, we know the edge four job is a healthy amount of snaps. And, and I really think that Sweat does have a profile to be a productive wide nine rusher. We'll see what it looks like in year two. Hopefully the body's a little bit stronger. If there's a little more mass, maybe that's the solution to it. But hopefully the tendons are a little more stronger. He's able to practice more regularly. Remember, Sweat was often missing practice time his rookie year with with Knicks and with injuries. Practice more often, get on the field more, and develop into a better role player. Then Sweat's absolutely going to move up into the tier that I have called like you know the starter tier uh, on this list. Right now, he's just below that tier because... I haven't seen him start yet. And I should qualify that we're not talking about rookies on this list. I should have said that up top, but we are not including rookies on this list. And Josh Sweat basically had somewhat of a redshirt year. I mean, one pressure in 31 pass rush snaps, not the best production or sample size to go off of. But like you said, he has the potential to make a real impact on this rotation. And I kind of bake that into my ranking here. Also, this is a bit of a holdover from my draft scouting evaluation of him. I was very similar to the way you felt about him as a, like a late second rounder that could develop into something. Obviously, the medical flag is there. I'm not a doctor. You know, I don't know if that's something that's going to affect him in mm-hmm. year three or four or if it's year seven or eight. So I have no idea as far as that goes. But he checked in as my number six. So he was seven for you. He was six for me. Ben, who is your sixth player? We have arrived at Jake Elliott. Hey, I, I wonder because... It was getting high. It was getting real high for a kicker, but he is a starter. Like, everybody above here is, like, at least fighting for a starting job, not a starter. Right. Elliot is a starter, but also, like, it's not really a competition spot, so it's difficult to figure out how much value does he bring. Here's what I know. Elliot's played for two seasons. The list of kickers who, in their first two seasons, have attempted more than 50 field goals and hit more than 80% of them is small. Yeah. It's only 32 players in the history of the league, and that's not a lot. That's a great point. It's not like the league cycles through a ton of kickers, but that's not a lot. And if you look at the list, especially recently, it's a ton of really, really good players. You know, Adam Vinatieri hit that benchmark. Mike Nugent, Robbie Gold, Stephen Guskowski, Ryan Suckup, Dan Bailey, Justin Tucker, Greg Zerline. Those are career guys. Those are guys with long careers in the NFL. Right, exactly. And I'm obviously, I'm nitpicking some good names. Dan Carpenter, Nick Folks, Blair Walsh, they're also on here. You also have like, you know, Alex Henry is on here. Chandler Catanzaro is on here. Some players have struggled to stick. But it's yeah. a lot of really good names who hit this benchmark. Which obviously, like, I, the benchmark is like arbitrary. I picked like, you know, numbers that Elliot would fit in. But still, it's a small list. It's to say <laughs> that like... We take for advantage the fact that Elliott is hitting 84% of his field goals, having attempted almost six, over 60 over the first two years. He's also hit five field goals from 50-plus, which I can't right. factor that into to this search, to this PFR search. But I can promise you that's pretty good. Yeah. Now, the issue with this is if we go look back at some of those names I've named, Nick Folk, Ryan Suckup, Dan Bailey, Justin Tucker, Stephen Guskowski, we're all hitting 100% on our extra points. <laughs> Jake yeah. Elliott on this list is bottom five in terms of extra points hit. He's at 93.5 of his extra points. He's hit 72 out of 77. Yeah. That's the big weakness in his game right now. Now, I do not know Jack 
diddly about kicking. But I have to imagine that it's an easier problem to solve missing field goals randomly than like being able to hit 60 yarders in crunch time, right? Yeah. If I could pick between the two, it, like which issue I'd like my kicker to have, it's the extra point one. Yeah. Because I can work with that, I yeah. feel like. As opposed to like if he just doesn't have the leg and the accuracy to hit from that distance. So I, I, I expect Elliott to get better there. Um, but obviously defending Jake Elliott is now like a cult thing that I do, which it's my <laughs> new cult thing. Though this whole... People telling me what Danelle Pump is doing in training camp is not healthy for me, Mike. Yeah. Oh, it's not good. Yeah. I feel like a meth fiend at a needle exhibition. It's just not great. I'm getting a lot of trouble here. Danelle Pumphrey is a name that we could have selected on this list. I'm wondering if he's ending up in, at your top spot. No, no, no. I have 0% chance. I didn't even list him on the potential names for Bob 10. There's no way I was bringing that on myself. Um, Amazing. He's, he's the only player of the potential names that the Eagles have actually already cut. So there's right. no way I could potentially <laughs> put him on. But Elliott at six, and I feel good with that. I I, I yeah. do think we underappreciate Elliott because it's easy to remember a couple of field goal misses when we forget the fact that just because the Eagles don't attempt a lot of 50-yarders because mm. they go for it on fourth down a lot, we forget about the strength of having a kicker who can hit from 50-plus regularly. Here's what I want to see from Elliott next year. I want to see over 95% on the extra points. I, I know two missed extra points isn't a big deal, but they can make a difference in a game. So I want to see two or less missed extra points from Elliott. I'll be fine with that. Well, they had he had two missed extra points in 2018. So there we go. We win. That's what I mean. That, that's that's fine with me. And don't miss yeah. any clutch kicks in, in, in the playoffs, any clutch extra points in the playoffs. You're fine. I'm totally fine with that. Get that 50-plus range. It was five for six as a rookie two for five last year so if he can get that back up to over you know well over 50 percent then i'm totally fine with that now i'm gonna i'm gonna we're gonna circle back to this because apparently jake elliott is the topic of this conversation now but i'm gonna look this up on pfr real quick i would imagine there's a selection bias with his 50 yard attempts because my guess is that the eagles go for it mostly all the time on fourth down in real game situations so i'm imagining these are like well, actually, they're probably shorter 50-yarders then. When we come back from break, we're going to find out the mystery stat about Jake Elliott here on the top 10 players under 25 for the Eagles entering the 2019 NFL season here on the Kiston Solak Show. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back on the Kiston Solak Show, episode 96, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. We have our top five left to go 
here on the top 10 under 25 players on the Philadelphia Eagles roster. Ben has also been frantically looking up this stat for Jake Elliott looking. It was so there was a 51, 53, 54, 55, 56. So he didn't attempt any longer than 56. Shorter. Yeah, yeah so shorter. Yeah, so He's got to hit those, Ben. I agree. Now, I'm looking. So they he missed one against Indy, which if I remember was a bad weather game. Yeah. Correctly, if I remember it was a bad weather game. Uh, one against one the great. Giants in the in the big thirty four to thirteen win, hit against Dallas, hit against the and then he was one of for two from fifty against the Rams. I'm mm. trying to. I, I, it's it's fun. You know, I wish PFR doesn't have like game situation time left. Like if it was like end of half stuff or something like that. But yeah. anyway, I'd be curious to look. But then again, it's just because I want to find reasons to defend Jake Elliott. Um, I have him at six. I'm very happy with him. I stick to my guns. At number five for me, we're getting into the top five. I'll go with Jordan Howard here. Obviously, very productive, but also has like, you know, his high volume type of guy. People think I'm low on Jordan Howard. I just think that he's not anything special. He's not bad. I think he's better than decent. Like I said with Corey Clement, I think he's maybe higher than replacement level, possibly when he's at the top of his game. You obviously love what he brings as a pass protector. Only two pressures last year, and I believe it was 87 snaps going off memory here, according to Pro Football Focus. So that's a much needed bonus for the Eagles because they were absolute buns and pass protection from the running back group last year and this is a guy that also fits the offense really well what they want to do with inside zone outside zone and has I think one of the highest usages for RPOs which fits what the Eagles like to do like I said I've been watching a lot of RPO stuff studying a lot of RPO stuff the Eagles and the Bears both checked in top three for RPO frequency teams Jordan Howard obviously understands the concepts and knows what he's tasked with and those concepts when he comes to the Philadelphia offense so I think he's a great fit I think he's okay I think where Howard can move himself up this list is just making guys miss in space which was something that he did not do last year and look I understand that the Chicago line was not one of the best run blocking units in the NFL last year and the Eagles were were better than that so he's going to get some more adjusted yards before contact and, and all that stuff but Howard needs to make more guys miss and hopefully bring a little more in the passing game I don't see him as a dynamic receiving threat and it's just not a high value position for me and he's gonna have to fend off Miles Sanders from taking his touches Ben who do you have at number five Jordan Howard <laughs> <laughs> like you know so it's yeah. very clear that we have the same top five and again I've been talking about tears I think drawing a line I think between like the bottom four and the top six with Jake Elliott being a wild guard because Elliott is again like is a starter at a position where there's really no competition but that's like you know role players backups developmental guys at the bottom four to starters or these guys who we assume are competing for starting jobs in, in the top five, top six. Proven contributors, I think, is a good way to put that. Even if they're not necessarily starters, they're going to get a high amount of, of contributions. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so if you're playing along at home, you probably know the five names that we have up top here. We'll continue to run through them. But Howard being fifth out of the five is telling in the sense that, yes, he's probably a starter. You know, he gets the game started little asterisk next to his name. You know, he gets it in, on the initial thing. He's going to be splitting time with Miles Sanders. He's going to be giving some touches to Corey Clement. I think he's going to be limited in what the scope of his role is. I don't think he's going to be getting a huge diversity of running concepts, as Mike said. I don't think he's going to be getting a ton of passing game touches. It just doesn't make sense what his skill set is. And so Howard is a low-end starter. You said you think he's above replacement. I think he's at replacement. I was being generous yeah. there, to be honest with you. He's going to get touches. <laughs> the The thing about Howard that I entertained the notion of putting Howard below Elliott, if we're being honest. And the thing is... It goes back to my my lot argument. I can tell you with almost certainty, barring huge injury, that Elliott's on the team in 2020. I can't tell you that about Howard. 
And so that's mm. why, like, look, you know, looking forward, how much does Howard matter? Well, he may just be a one-year stopgap guy who they traded, like, you know, a sixth for, whatever the heck it was. So, yeah. you know, Elliot, Howard, whatever, it's just mostly me goofing around. It's very hard to put Howard above the top four in whatever order yeah. you have them. Yeah, and depending on how you want to frame the discussion, because we've both kind of taken our own approach to this, I totally get why you would see that perhaps Jake Elliott is more valuable long-term as a young guy that you want on the roster to help alleviate the cap hit that Carson Wentz is going to to come with once he gets paid. I could see how you could make that argument. My number four guy, Rasul, Rasul Douglas. Look, I've only peeked at a rewatch of Rasul Douglas versus Jalen Mills, which I'm very interested in. But I'm going to tell you, I'm already pretty confident about how that grading is going to shape out. Sewell's got ball skills. He's got physicality. He came in rocked up, which matters a whole lot, into training camp. whole lot. And, and I think, you know, as a third-round pick coming into this is his third year now, this is the year where you're kind of expecting a breakout or you're hoping for a breakout. And I think Rasul has a very legitimate chance at winning a starting job on the outside if he's competing with Mills. I think he's better. I mean, I think Mills is just – I don't know where the Mills hives comes from. But, man, I would much rather have Rasul in there because he's least – if he's getting beat every now and then because he can't stay with with the quicker guys and whatnot, he's giving you some turnovers. And that's really what we lacked when Mills was in the lineup. Rasul came in and started turning the ball over, which I'm very excited for. And you know what? Maybe it gets Jim Schwartz. It motivates Jim Schwartz to let Sewell, like we talked about during the season, when Sewell wants to get up in somebody's kitchen, Schwartz kind of allowed him to do that. As the season progressed and Sewell would get up there and get in the kitchen and start pressing people and getting his hands on people because that's his strength. His strength is not off coverage. Let Sewell get up in the faces, limit some of those cushions. And right. I think overall you'll see that the Eagles just won't get carved up so much by those five and seven yard concepts that kill us so much. Now, I will say press coverage is a strength. Good up there. The same issues that plague him and off plague him in press. But when you disrupt a route timing and a route concept, you're allowed to get disconnected. You've, you've thrown things off. There is the dichotomy to balance of you want him to continue getting better in off coverage. He has continued getting better in off coverage. Yeah. You want him to be able to play that. So you want him to get reps in it. So you want to leave him there, but also you want him to be successful. So it's press. So it's like, you know, there's kind of a give and take there. To me, like, you know, you talk about the Sewell's Mills argument. One of the ways I like to frame it, which I think is helpful, is let's just go umbrella and then just see where, like, you know, yes, no, true, false statements lead us. Like, do you want to have good defense? Yes. Okay. How in the 2010s, how in, in this era of football, do you have a good defense? You have to be able to generate big plays and turnovers. That's what we've seen. Like the best defenses in the leagues regularly, perennially, there's one to two defenses who can really limit yardage and limit points gained. And the rest of them can't. Yeah. Right? It's like there are one to two defenses this season. Chicago and Baltimore. That's it. Who can have a measurable impact on stopping the league's best offenses. The other ones, it doesn't matter if you're third or 20th, you're, they're pretty much getting the same yardage against you, right? And if we want to investigate that Chicago-Baltimore route, it's like, okay, how do you do this? And it's like, we'll have like five guys who can cover in man coverage. Which Eagles have a <laughs> lot of corners. So like, maybe if they all take step forwards, we're good. But that probably won't happen. And so, you know, if the Eagles try to get there, they've invested a lot in the position. Cool. And like, I'm glad they are. But Let's take the 3 through 32 path and say, well, how do these defenses impact games? It's turnovers. Turnovers yeah. are, are, are the key. That's when you when you look at, at defense and when you look at data, and you try to see what is the, the fulcrum on which defenses change games in the 21st century. It's turnovers. 
how do you, how do corners generate turnovers? How do defensive backs generate turnovers? You have to have ball skills. You have to be able to address the football in the air, come down with it, and catch it. You need to be able to turn pass breakups and interceptions. Who is good at this on the Eagles roster? Literally nobody but Sewell. So so like I would say, I would say Avante Maddox is pretty good at that too. But yeah, Matt and Maddox Maddox had a short couple list. drops. Right. My thing with Maddox is yes, ball skills, but also he has some of the shortest arms that have ever came through the combine. So his ability to influence the catch yeah. point is limited because he just doesn't have length. Re- remember the playoff game with the Bears when I was coming into it and I was saying, Mitch Trubisky is going to give you a chance to pick one off. Yes. If you get that chance, you have to pick him off. I will still die believing that was an interception. Yeah. Absolutely. I was rewatched. I, I, I rewatched it a couple of days ago. What was I? But I was in, yeah. I was in Eagles Bears for whatever reason. Oh, uh, um, Nigel Bradham film because because oh. Jordan Hicks was active for that game, but they mostly yeah. played Bradham. And yeah, no, I saw that play and I like watched three plays TV and I was like, listen, he has it. All right. It's a catch. Yeah. But now he double caught it. Yeah. So to me, it's not even like Mills versus Sewell. It's like I just want to figure out how I can get Sewell on the field because he makes high impact plays for me. He also gives up stuff. But listen, if the other guys are also giving up stuff and they are, then get the guy out there who's more likely to make high impact plays as well, right? Like if we're going to have bust, let's get some boom. Yeah. I've progressed past like, should, you know, Sewell beat out Mills for starting job. Just find a way to get him on the field at some point. Like I don't care. Just get the, the, the players who can make high impact plays for you on the field somehow and sod who's been the starter and earning the job in camp, everything like that. Like Sewell can make plays and it's, and it's something that the Eagles haven't really had at the corner position. Like I like Darby. I'm a Darby fan. You know this, but the big thing about Darby is like, he stays sticky in coverage, but he's not super physical getting up into the air and addressing the catch points on his strength. He's got bad hands too. Yeah. Yeah. Sewell brings that, which isn't in the cornerback room. So Sewell's also my four. Uh, so now we, we've got, Five, four, the same. I'm really interested to see how these top three slice out. This should be fun. I think we're going to have it probably exactly the same. My number three is Derek Barnett. Tied 49th of 75 for pass rush productivity, according to Pro Football Focus last year. Thought the best part of his game was definitely run defense, which we've always said is a strength of his. Nine run stops in the run game in limited time. Very good, according to PFF again. But yeah, I mean, Barnett, this is a big year for him. And I think the expectations are that this needs, I mean, I think people thought that last year was going to be his breakout, but you're going into your third year, you're a 14th overall pick, you haven't quite shown that you can be the dynamic pass rusher that you want when you pick somebody with a 14th overall pick. And and again, people think we hate Barnett, but I'm tired of hearing he's only 21, he's only 22, he's a third year vet now, now is, and he's a first round pick, now is the time to show the upside, this is the year. He has not shown it yet. Ben, what about you? It's not Barnett. Woo! Oh, yeah, Ben Barnett higher. Who do you have at three? Is it Maddox? Maddox. Maddox. Yeah. Maddox. Yeah. And here's 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 the, the the just number one bugaboo issue with Maddox. Maddox, the Eagles secondary was like, you know, uh, lost at sea, and Maddox was a raft, right? Like Maddox ability to <laughs> fill multiple roles was tremendous, right? And like yeah. he came out and like playing free safety for that. I mean, played Nickel Corn, he played outside corner in the Chicago Bears game. But like here's here's the critical thing that it's very easy to forget Maddox wasn't actually that good at free safety right like he number one he didn't do a lot of like actual free safety things they ran a lot of combo coverage with him and number two 
He doesn't have a huge range of influence because he doesn't have great instincts from free safety. He's never played the position before. It's not like he's going to address the catch point really well. We talked about how he's short and he's stubby, so he doesn't have great length to go up there and, and attack at height. Filling in the run game can be a problem for him. He can get attached to a quarterback's eyes. He can get put on a string. Right. We saw that when he played at right. free safety for sure. Yeah, I feel so dumb saying this, but like, you know, the outside corner at Pitt turns out was not as good as a year one free safety for the Eagles as some people think. Like, well, no, duh. <laughs> but that's the thing is like, McLeod went down, then Graham went down. It was like, what do we do? And the solution was, all right, we're putting Maddox out there. And I remember at the time, you and I were like, like this is going to be awful. And then it wasn't. So it was above expectation. Yeah. But So he gets a ton of credit for right? that. Like yeah. People like, you know, we talk about like safety three and people go like, well, what about Avanti Maddox? You don't want Avanti Maddox to be a safety for you. He doesn't have the body type of a safety. He doesn't have the play style of a safety. And he hasn't played safety. You want him as a nickel, right? I mean, that's where yeah, exactly. we started that OTAs. The Eagles worked it out around Maddox at free safety. But there was a lot that, again, they played a lot of, uh, of different zone cover stuff and they let Maddox come up and rob. And he like got a couple interceptions. They like fell into his lap, like the Titans with Mariota. And like, we remember these plays, but Maddox was at his best as a coverage corner. We mm. saw that in the Rams game. I thought he was tremendous against Robert Woods. Yeah. The Chicago game, he took a couple lumps against Allen Robinson, but that's what you do. You take lumps and you survive, especially when you're playing you know, five inches to, you know, against somebody your superior, you know, beat him on a couple double moves. But Mattis, strong in, in man coverage, showed growth throughout the year, doesn't have ideal size measurables. I'm harping on that. But as a nickel guy, you expect to be able to protect that. He can absolutely be the Eagles starter at nickel. And that's a, a high impact position. But this image of Maddox is like this skeleton key, which I've called him this before because he was, but this image of Maddox is like a long-term can flit anywhere. Malcolm Jenkins sort of player to me is incorrect. And then that, that it gets overhyped because Maddox really, you know, in our moment of weakness shined for us. Um, so Maddox to me is just like the nickel corner and he's, he's, we expect him to be a good nickel corner. He's got good zone awareness. He's got really nice change of direction. He's got good explosiveness and that's fine. He's my nickel corner. He's three. And I, 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 I that's where I put him and I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's funny because the people around him at the time, Maddox was much better than, but Shannon Sullivan, Josh Hawkins, Corey Graham. Right. That's <laughs> the thing that... is like, I think when all things are equal, Maddox is a starter on your defense. And yeah. we've got, again, like talked about, you know, these are starters. Maddox is a starter on your defense. And he's a guy you're very comfortable playing out his rookie contract as the nickel should be fine. Obviously, I'd like to see him spend a whole season there too, which he didn't do last year because he had to move around everywhere, which again, isn't a detriment to him. Just talking about evaluating him and understanding his game. Avante Maddox is my number two player. And it's funny, you mentioned the, the Rams game. I, I think he had like five or six plays. I mean, number one, some solo tackles on Todd Gurley in the open field. I did not yeah. expect that from him. That were very clutch, Fight in clutch situations. Oh, I can't believe I forgot. The most important thing about Maddox, I learned I went to high school with his current girlfriend. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> but then like, so so he's got the five or six plays that were really good. The interception that he had, right? He had interception that game. It was on the it was on the bench route from Josh Reynolds, one of the worst bench routes that I've ever seen. I thought it was interesting because you go to the broadcast of that game and Goff is coming to the line and he's yelling at Josh Josh Reynolds, bench, 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 but bench route being a, a vertical stem, you get 10 yards down the field, then you threaten the post and then you hit an out route. Well, Josh Reynolds ran like one of the worst bench routes in history. Maddox hears Goff saying bench, bench, bench. And sits all over it and is able to undercut the route and, and make a great play. I thought it was an awesome play. And Dude, MVP of that game. <laughs> definitely. And then at the end of the game, too, 
he was covering Josh Reynolds and stacked him up on those on those nine rods when they were trying to throw one up. So he performed well above expectation there and was one of the shining spots at corner for the Eagles when he got a when he got a chance to play corner and he wasn't playing out of position at safety. So he is my number two. And I don't want to make it sound like all, all of this talk is us saying that Maddox isn't a really doggone good football player and doesn't have potential to be a good football mm-hmm. player. I just think his best fit, if you want the most out of him, is at nickel, which is where he's currently playing at OTAs. And I think that's a, that's a wonderful place to take advantage of his skill set, the short area quickness, and also hiding the lack of length because he's not going to come up against you know some of these big slots all the time. So I feel like that's a really good way to maximize his skill set. I think that's his long-term position moving forward. I mean, but it's great to, to have a guy out there that's not entirely lost when you have to move him around. So he's my number two guy. Ben, you're a number two guy. Wow. It's between Dallas Goddard now and Derek Barnett. I think I know where you're going with this one. It's got to be Barnett, right? There's no way. What is the framework of this podcast? It's Eagles players under 25 mm-hmm. who are we saying best? Or are we saying will matter the most? Or most important? It's a combination of both. I have Goddard second. What? Goddard, you. how many? What percentage of the snaps are you giving Goddard versus Barnett? Barnett is going to play this season 70% of the snaps. Goddard's going to play what, 40? Do you trust that he's going to be as impactful? Number So number one, I think... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Snaps are fantastic. Is he going to be as impactful as Dallas Goddard can be? Well, okay, so is Bar- will, Barnett, will Barnett be as impactful as Dallas Goddard can be? So what will Barnett be versus a hypothetical for Goddard? I'm not falling into that trap. I'm known as this massive Derek Barnett detractor. <laughs> My timeline on Derek Barnett was number one. I think he was overdrafted at 14. I would have preferred him in the second round. I just don't think he's 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 a round one edge rusher. I think he's an edge two, right? Well, guess what? He's going to be edge two on this team. They have Brandon Graham for the next three years. And Brandon Graham's going to stay like, you know, the titular edge one, even if Barnett outproduces him, which Barnett was outproducing him last year when they were both on the field. From a sacks number, yeah. No, and, from, a, and- from, a, from a quarterback hit perspective, let me, oh man, that piece of paper is somewhere else. Barnett was, was had, a, had a quarterback hit once every 15 pass rush snaps for PFF. And Graham was somewhere in like the 20s, 30s. And Graham was also dealing with the ankle surgery that he was recovering from, or he wasn't going to be the same until week 10, week 11, week 12. Had, had a bad shoulder. Listen, okay, I'm not, I'm not, I am, there's no way right now I'm, I'm becoming this far. I'm not going this far into Barnett. This is supposed to be about Goddard anyway. <laughs> I'm considered this big Barnett detractor because number one, I thought he was overdrafted and I've been public about that. And then number two, after he had a six game season, I wrote a post, a six sack season. I wrote a post where I was like, hey, all these sacks came against tight ends. Let's just be aware of this. And uh, you know, true. obviously that was incendiary. <laughs> Barnett v. Goddard. I think Goddard is an objectively better player. Okay. I think as long as Goddard is behind Zach Ertz, which he is for the next foreseeable future, Goddard matters less to this team than Barnett matters to this team. That's number one. Number two, I think Barnett off of film measurably, noticeably took a step forward from year one to year two. I do not know what that means for year three coming off of injury. I do not think that Barnett is a high ceiling player. I do not think he can get much better than he was in 2018, but he was good in 2018. He was what they want him to be in 2018. Again, don't think it should have cost 14, but this team cares about edge pressure more than seemingly anything else. And so if you need an edge, you need an edge and they need Barnett. So when it comes to a best versus most impactful versus most influ- influential, it's a difficult thing to suss out. I this like to me like I had trouble placing Clement and Sweat at seven and eight, and then Barnett and Goddard at one and two. I was like I don't, you know, like just tie him at first. Like I like I was able to put Maddox below them, and then after that I was like I don't really know. With Dallas Goddard, because again I'm supposed to be talking about Goddard too. 
the number one value that he provides is what the team can do schematically, what the team can do in the no huddle, what tendencies the team can hide by getting Goddard on the field. Goddard and Zach Ertz's interchangeability, their ability to line up at a ton of different spots and accomplish a ton of different things allows Philadelphia to totally open their playbook. When you have Goddard and Ertz on the field and then like, you know, Miles Sanders in the backfield, there is not a play that is not available to you because these guys can be slot receivers. They can be inline blockers. They can be lead blockers. So you can do anything. And that's tremendous. But from a pure production standpoint, Goddard, you know, okay, like averaged over 10 yards a catch, which was great. But even at the height of his efficacy was getting four targets a game, right? Like the end of last season, he's getting three, four targets a game. It's just very tough for me to say that that's more impactful than the Eagles outside edge rusher who was turning out good production on 30, 35 pass rush snaps a game. So yeah, I but it's easier It's easier for an edge guy to produce as a rookie than it is for a tight end. I mean, we have these crazy expectations for tight ends when they come out. They really don't produce like that in their first year. And you can look at a lot of rookie tight ends. They don't get over 800 yards. Like, there's not many players like that. There's one or two tight ends that have had over 800 yards in their first year. It's easier for an edge. And if you want to talk about how impactful a player is because they're just on the field more, go back to 2017 when the Eagles had a full rotation. Brandon Graham has 64% of the snaps. Vinny Curry, a starter, had 56%. Chris Long, 48%. Derek Barnett, 41%. Dallas Goddard already had 48% of the snaps as a rookie and is probably going to be a little bit more than that. How many? How, how much of a difference are we talking about here when we're talking about who's going to be on the field if the Eagles' rotation is healthy at defensive end? Is it so going to be— So how many snaps—let me ask you this. How many snaps has Dallas Goddard taken this year? 523. How many—I how many, said so 1 percent. Like you said, he took 48% of the snaps last year. Yeah. What percent is he taking this year, 2019? I would put it at 52. I don't think it's going to be much higher, but I think it's right, around 52, 53. Yeah. But, I mean, what's Derek Barnett going to be at if they're if they're healthy? I mean, considering all things are— This year, 70. 70? I don't think the Eagles want the rotation to be that heavy. A lot of this depends on Josh Sweat, too. Yeah, it does. It does depend on Josh Sweat. Brandon Graham took a pretty high number of snaps last year despite not being all that healthy, and he was at 72, 73%. That's your edge one. I mean, that thing is like, I would, I would say both Barnett and Graham will be in the high 60s. But uh-huh. at the end of the day, right, like you were, we're, we're talking about all this and it's very interesting and it's a good time. <laughs> and it is. Carson wants to throw the ball 30 times a game. There you go. Right, arbitrary number. Ertz, Alshon, Deshaun. If you want to put Goddard as the number four target, sure. I think you have Aguilar to a conversation there. How many how many targets does Goddard get in a game? How many yards is he going to create as a blocker? Like he, I mean, he gives you. But well, that thing is like I acknowledged what he get. I cannot believe I'm Barnett standing over Goddard right now. This is, feels awful. I, I acknowledged like that was that was the big caveat. I said like the number one value he brings is his interchangeability with Ertz and how that allows the Eagles to do a ton of different schematic stuff, which you and I have both written about. It's like on bleeding green. It is crystallized. Yeah. It is in written form. It's on the internet forever. Goddard's a tight end too. It's just tight. like I, I love him to death and the team runs more 12% than anybody else, but he is a tight end too. So let me ask you this. Let's say Goddard takes 55% of the snaps, has 500 yards, five touchdowns. I think that's reasonable. Obviously, we know his contributions that he brings as a blocker. Let's say Barnett hits his ceiling of what you say he's at, has 78 sacks, and then has, let's say, 65% of the snaps. Which one do you think is more impactful overall? That's Come on, it's Barnett. That has to be Barnett. Okay. Eight okay. sacks no, I'm just, versus... Yeah, I'm just throwing out the hypothetical. I wanted to make sure that you were, you know, being coherent right. with your line of reasoning here. I think you are. I disagree. Yeah. I think you're wrong, which we'll see next year. Right. Okay. Do you, wait, you disagree with 505 touchdowns, I say, is less impactful than eight sacks 
on 65% of the snaps. And you disagree with that? I mean, we'd have to talk about like pressure rates and quarterback hits and all that stuff too. So that's a whole... His pressure rate last year was good. I can't... Small sample size. Extremely small sample size. I'm just going to be... I'm just going to... It was half the season. Half the season? (laughs) It was three-eighths of the season. Three-eighths of the season. I can't believe I'm gonna I'm I'm pivoting away from Denell Pumphrey and towards Derek Barnett. Love this is a weird off season. This is amazing. Um, <laughs> I like I just I think that again yeah I agree sacks are heavily situational, but I think it's like if you asked me to project Derek Barnett's sack total for 2019, I would say eight. That would be my guess. Are four of them against tight ends? Sacks are sacks, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you play enough snaps, you're going to get blocked by somebody who shouldn't be blocking you eventually. That's a fact, whether it be a tight end or a running back. Okay, so that's going to do it for our top 10 rankings on the Eagles. Players under 25, non-rookies that we feel good about coming into the season. Ben, would you say goodbye? to the gentle listeners and all the Derek Barnett fans out there. I just want to just recap here. We were really close. We had the same guys in our bottom five. I added Gary because the 10th spotter, they didn't care, which is the, the aura of Elliot moved us off a little bit. And then we had the exact same guys in the top five, the exact same five, four. And then yeah. in the top three, we went wonky. Yeah. Yeah. We went all over the place. That's interesting. What we do know is that Dallas Goddard is better than Avante Maddox. Which I think is, is, is that that was the one consistency we had, which I like. I agree. Thanks for listening to the show. Really appreciate you swinging by. Uh, if you have your top 10 list of the Eagles' most influential players under 25, excluding rookies, you can go ahead and give that to us. If you don't know, and we kind of went over it a little bit, but the whole list is Josh Adams, Derek Barnett, Jordan Mailata, Josh Sweat, Rasul Douglas, Deshaun Hall, Avante Maddox, Corey Clement, Jake Elliott, Nate Gary, Shelton Gibson, Dallas Goddard, Jordan Howard, Danell Pumphrey, and Trey Sullivan. You can go ahead. Is Boston Scott? Where's Matt Pryor's in there. I think Boston Scott was an option. I think I left him off because, I mean, we don't, don't know what he is. dare you? I know. But uh, you can go ahead and at us with your lists. I'm on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. We are enjoying, Michael, unbelievable offseason numbers. Which it's crazy. Is all thanks to you guys. For, like, if you look at our numbers right now, and if we were like, hey, point to where the offseason started, you really wouldn't be able to do it, which is tremendous, and we're very thankful. You'd be able to point to where the draft was. That's not hard. But it's really, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's so cool to see that you guys are still actively listening throughout the entire season, and we want to reward that and return that with a ton of content like this one and good content all throughout the summer. If you've enjoyed some of the show concepts, if there's something you'd like for us to talk about, which we get a lot of these sort of requests, go ahead, leave a rating in iTunes, leave a review, subscribe so that all the podcasts automatically download, which is very handy dandy, because if you're like me, you always forget to download podcasts, and then you need them to be automatic. Uh, We only accept five-star ratings, though. That's a unique thing about our show. It's one of the reasons why we're so good. We have standards for our reviewers. Don't you dare give us less than five stars. Be proud. Hold yourself up to this high benchmark, and give us what we want. Thanks for listening. We love you. Goodbye forever. Be a positive influence on the internet today. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. P.G.N.